I don't know about you guys, but I like that bumper video. My, my minivan has no chrome, and I've always been jealous of people's garden gnomes. No, I'm just kidding. I just literally came up with that. I did not practice that, just so you know. I should probably let it go and not use it in second service either. Uh, so uh, I want to pick up here where we've been going. As we've been talking about uh, throughout this series, Adam opened it up the first two weeks, talking about the lack of respect that's in our culture. We look at social media. This week was another example of just the things that happen on social media that kind of get out of control as people are spewing hatred and attacking others and all kinds of disrespect and things that are said behind a screen that aren't, wouldn't necessarily or easily be said to a person's face. And so we see this in our culture, uh, and it goes deeper than that, so how do we address it? So Adam opened up and, and talked about uh, compassion and how Jesus had compassion on people, and we need to work towards having more compassion towards others, understanding the situation that they're in, or at least getting an idea of where they're coming from before we comment on their situation. And then last week he talked about, of course, the command that God has given us in his word, uh, that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but then love one another. And he talked about how Paul picks up on that in Galatians, that we should, to fulfill the law that God has given us, we should love one another. So this morning we're talking about comparison. Because comparison is something that happens in our culture all the time. You look at social media and you're constantly seeing people that are looking at someone else and thinking, I wish I was there or I wish I had that. And it happens in our culture in more ways than just that, of course. So I want to give you an illustration to start this morning. So I brought, um, brought some different tools with me here this morning. So most of you know what this is. It's a volleyball, okay? And I want you to think about when they designed a volleyball, they designed it for a very specific purpose, Right? It was designed for a specific game. It's, it's bigger than this baseball that I have here, and it's much softer. Uh, it's filled with air, and the players that play this game don't really wear any protective gear because you can get hit with this ball. Now, if someone spikes it in your face, your face is going to get red. You might break your nose, but typically that doesn't happen if you watch volleyball. Oftentimes, people are able to get their hands up or get out of the way. All right? So the designers of this ball had a very specific purpose in mind, just like those who designed the baseball. Baseball was designed very different from a volleyball. Now, they're both white, but this one obviously has red uh, threads on it. It's made of leather. It's much harder than the volleyball. Uh, The core inside of this is a hard cork center. If you ever took one of these apart or had your dog chew it apart, uh, you'll see what's inside of there. That happens to me all the time. Um, But this ball... The players that play this game have to use equipment to defend themselves or protect themselves. A batter will wear a helmet. Now, back when I was a kid, that was all they had, was batting gloves and a helmet. Now they have this thing that comes across their face. They have an elbow guard. They have leg, you know, the batters just have grown smart, I guess, throughout the years. Um, But the fielders have a glove to be able to catch the ball. You wouldn't want to catch this ball on your own. I've tried it a couple times. You can do it. It hurts. Even if the guy who catches it tells you it didn't, still does hurt. Um, Right? So I want you to just think about this, though, for a second. Imagine if we switched these balls. Imagine if you're driving down the street today, and some of our plainer Mennonite friends are out. And this is one of the things I love about their culture is they spend time together as families, and they do things together. And oftentimes you will see, I use them in this illustration, because oftentimes I will see them just in the middle of the field. They'll put up a volleyball net, and they'll start playing. They don't need a court. They don't need you know, the right 
necessarily the right uh, playing surface. They'll just put it out in the middle of the field and go at it. But imagine if you're driving down the street and you see that, you see a volleyball net set up, and they're playing with this ball. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to stop and watch that for a while. I want to see that happen. I want to see somebody serve this ball with their hand, right? I'd love to see that. Now, imagine if you look a little further and there's a field, a baseball field, and they're playing with this ball, right? Now, I'm going to tell you I'd rather be part of this game than this game, okay? But what's going to happen is this ball's not going to last real long. You hit this ball with a metal bat several times, it's going to start to change shape, it's going to break apart, right? The people who are playing volleyball with a baseball, they're probably not going to last too long, it's not going to look too good, because they're going to get beat up and bruised if they can even play the game, right? So these, we understand that. We know that these balls were designed for a specific game, right? Well, let me tell you that I believe that we, as people, were designed with a specific purpose, That God has designed us for a very specific reason, for a particular purpose, just as the designers of those balls designed them for a specific purpose. I want to share a couple passages with you here on this. This is probably familiar to some of you who've grown up in the church. So Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. You made, this is talking about God, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed under seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment that was laid out before a single day had passed. Let us get our minds around that for a second. So God in his sovereignty looked upon us and shaped us, and he knew every day before it had played out. He knew the end of our lives before the beginning even started. And so because he knew that, as he was knitting us together, he knit us together to be able to handle the path that he was laying out before us. I'll give you another passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we... Those of, who are, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, are created, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Meaning that God had laid out a plan for us long before we were ever in existence. He had laid out the work that he had wanted us to accomplish. We don't have time to do it, but you could flesh this out a little further. I put some uh, passages in the bulletin for you if you'd like to look at them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 7 through 26. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Speak more to this. But God has created you with a purpose. He's uniquely wired you to go through the experiences that you have endured. He's gifted you for the work that you will do. He's designed you to handle the path that he has set out before you. But here's what he hasn't done. He hasn't designed you to walk your neighbor's path. He hasn't designed you to walk the road that he has laid out for them. He hasn't equipped you to serve the way that they are serving. He hasn't given you the life that they are living. And here's our big idea this morning as we talk about comparison. You can't faithfully follow Jesus if you're always comparing yourself to someone else. 
If you want to follow Jesus, then your eyes need to be fixed on him and you can't be comparing yourself to the person next to you or the person on this side or the person out there on Instagram. You can't do it. Because your eyes need to be fixed on the one who created you, made you, and shaped you for the life that he set out before you. And so many of us, so many of us, we're shaped like this baseball. God gave us a purpose. God gave us a plan. He put us together for all the things that we will endure, and yet we spend our life looking at the volleyball saying, man, I wish I was bigger and softer like the volleyball. Now, none of you will ever say that, right? <laughs> I tried that one. But you get the point. We look at someone else and we think, ah, oh, I wish I had their gifts. I wish I had what they have. I wish I could be as smart as them. I wish I could be as funny as them. I wish my physique was like theirs, whatever it may be. And I believe that that's a slap in the face of the God who made you. Because God made you the way he made you for a specific purpose and a specific plan. Now, comparison, this comparison as I was digging through this, it goes to so many levels. We're just scratching the surface. And I pray that God is gracious with us this morning as we look at this because I just want to prepare you. This goes really deep. So we're going to open up the scriptures and it might hit some spots this morning for you that are very sensitive and I'm mindful of that and I want to walk there with caution. But I think that God will graciously meet us here uh, in the text. So John chapter 21 is where we're going to look. John chapter 21, if you're new to the Bible, don't have a Bible, take one of those Bibles out in the pew there. Page 902 is where we will be. John 21 Verses 15 to 22, and I'll set the stage for you. If you're not familiar with this passage, maybe you've never read the book of John, I'll kind of set the stage for you as you turn there. So this is after Jesus' death and crucifixion. It's after the resurrection. And it's after Jesus has already appeared to these disciples, as John would tell us, two times he's already appeared. And so he's going to have this meeting with his followers, those who were the closest to him, those who had walked with him, had seen his crucifixion, and then had seen his resurrection. This is the third time that he's going to see them. And they were out fishing one night, and they spent most of the night out there fishing, and they caught nothing. This man comes and shows up on the beach, and he says, have you caught anything, friends? They say, no. He says, throw the net over the other side of the boat. Of course, they catch a massive amount of fish, and John recognizes, wait, that's the Lord, that's Jesus. And Peter, in his excitement, jumps out of the boat and runs to see Jesus, and Jesus has prepared a breakfast for them on the shore. So you can picture this moment. So now we'll pick this up in verse 15. Now, before I do this, also I, want, I need to mention that there's something a little bit confusing about this text if you're not familiar with it. Simon, son of John. That was Peter's given name. That's how he would have been known before he runs into Jesus. But during his time with Jesus, Jesus changes his name or gives him a new name and says, you will be called Peter, which in Greek is kephos, which means rock, because it's upon his profession that Jesus is the Lord and Savior that he builds his church. It's upon that profession. So Jesus gives him a new name. So when you see Simon, son of John, and then they're calling him Peter, it's the same guy. In case you're not familiar with that. So after breakfast, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus isn't talking about literal sheep here. He's talking about the church. He's asking Peter to care for the people, which is the church. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, I don't want to get lost in the, in the, the denials that Peter had before and these questions. Because we can get lost when we come to this text. Verse 18. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said, or Jesus said this to let them know or let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the the disciple that Jesus loved. That's John. That's even the one who's writing this. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Church, this is so critical that we understand this. Peter is comparing the death that he is going to experience to John's death. He's he's comparing the road that he's about to walk and that Jesus has laid out before him and told him, someone's going to lead you where you do not want to go. He understands what this means. And he's comparing his road to John's road. And what we know from history, in case you don't know this, Peter would ultimately be crucified upside down in 64 AD at the hands of Nero, a Caesar who thought he was God. And John, as far as we know, as best we understand from history, John was exiled to an island called Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation and passed away from natural causes. The only disciple that we know that was not martyred for his faith. And when Peter looks at Jesus and he says this, what about him? What about John? What about his life? What about his story? See, I think every one of us wants to live a healthy life if we're honest. Every one of us wants to live until we're 85 or 90 and pass into glory in our sleep. We want to live a life that's smooth, without major disappointments, no persecution, no major health issues until the Lord calls us home. But if we spread out the options like a deck of cards, picture a deck of cards, and you walk up to that deck of cards, and on those options are are different uh, plots in life, maybe different endings to your life. How many of us are taking the card that says, life cut short by a car accident? I'll have that one. Or battle with cancer, I'll take that or homelessness, or mental illness, or depression, or whatever the card might read, how many of us are taking that card? Not one of us. And what Peter finds out is that he's going to die for his faith. 
And Peter in that moment is looking at the Lord and he's saying, hey, Jesus, this isn't fair. I knew you loved John more than me. Why am I the one who's going to get let out to a place I don't want to go? And how many of us have said that when the trial hits, when that phone call comes in, when the world comes crashing down? How many of us have said, what about them? Why is it that my kid is sick? Why did they pass away so young? Why do I have to battle this illness? Why am I prone to depression? What about them? Here's the thing, church, so many of us, when we sign up to follow Jesus, right, we fall in love with the Lord, the Lord rescues us from our sin, and we fall in love with him, and we start to follow him, and we read these passages like Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, meaning I have all that I need, Lord, because I have you, or how about Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and the life I live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for the one who died for me. And we say those things, and it's real nice, and it's easy to say them. But when the brokenness of the world comes in, when the brokenness in our own hearts shows up, when the suffering comes, the trial and the sin that we struggle with, and we look around us and we say, but what about them? And I think Jesus' answer to us would be the same as it is to Peter, and this is hard for us to swallow. What is that to you? It's what Jesus says to to Peter when he's looking at John, and he says, John's going to live until until you return. How's that fair? And Jesus looks at us and says, what is that to you? Follow me. Follow me. I don't know if you can see it here, but the, the work the path, the life that God had laid out for Peter was different from the one that he had laid out for John. And Peter couldn't get hung up on the life that God had chosen for somebody else. He just couldn't get hung up on it. And I love you too much to not share this with you, but Christianity just isn't fair. And Jesus never promised that it would be. He never said it would be fair. Some of you, you look at food and you gain weight. Others of you, you can eat whatever you want. Some of you struggle with alcohol and addiction in ways that I never have. Some of you grew up in a home that damaged you more than it helped you. Some of you have been abused and neglected and you didn't choose it. But I would come back to this. You can't faithfully follow Jesus if you're always comparing yourself to someone else. See, when we think about comparison, we think about materialism. Thou shall not covet, right? That passage that God gave in the, or that command that God gave in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not covet, right? And we think about the stuff, materialism. But this is only, this is only the ground floor of comparison. It's only the ground floor. I mean, stuff, we can struggle with that. There's stuff we'd like to have. And I don't think it's wrong to want something. But the question you have to ask yourself is, can I be content without it? All right, so the spring is kind of winning out, as I said. Summer's moving in. And as I look at summer and I drive around and I see some people with a Jeep, you know, a Jeep that has the top down. And I look at that and I think, man, that would be fun. 
It'd be fun. I'd like to have one of those someday. But is my life content without it? Sure. Do I need to have a Jeep to be content? Is the person who bought a Jeep now living like this? Ha, life's perfect. I have a Jeep. What else do I need? Nothing else matters. Life hits me in the face. I just get in my Jeep and drive. We're good, right? Doesn't happen. I could go and buy a Jeep tomorrow, and it wouldn't make my life any better. Would I have more enjoyable Sunday afternoons? Maybe. But you get the point. But this goes to a much deeper level. That materialism stuff is just the ground floor. I hesitated to go here, but I think I have to. um, And I pray the Lord's mercy on this, because this is such a sensitive issue. But I think about this. Why can, for those those of you who struggled with infertility, it hasn't been part of my story, but it's been part of some of yours. Why can they have kids and we can't. And I've wrestled with this because I've journeyed with people that I love dearly and I've watched them and they are a perfect home, in my opinion, to raise a child. And I look at them and they've been married for years and struggling and this isn't part of my personal story but within my family I know I have family members that have struggled with this and I'm like, God, what is the deal? Because then I see a 16-year-old or 17-year-old girl in a moment of weakness give herself away and she gets pregnant. And I'm like, God, it's just not fair. It's not fair. And I think God would look at us and say, as hard as it is to listen to, what is that to you? Follow me. Follow me. Because God has uniquely wired us for the experiences, the trials, the suffering that each one of us will face. And here is his promise to you. So he hasn't promised that life would be fair, but his promise is, I will never leave you. So though you go through this trial, though you go through this suffering, though you're dealing with this, I am always there with you. Follow me. He doesn't promise on this side of heaven that life will be easy. But when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, what he says is, I will be there. I will be there in the midst of your weaknesses. I will be there for you when the the suffering hits. In that moment where you find out we're not able to have children, God is there. When that moment when you find out the diagnosis is cancer, God is there. When you're struggling with depression again, God is there. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But he never promised us that it would be easy. So here's the thing. You weren't made for somebody else's path. You weren't made for somebody else's road. You weren't designed for it. You weren't shaped for it. You weren't given the gifts for it. And God had chosen for Peter that Peter would die a martyr. But what he says here. In verse 19, as Jesus said this to Peter, to let him know what kind of death would glorify God. Think about that for a second. How many of us think about the end of our life and when we reach the end, how is not only our life going to glorify God, but our death? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, this is the way you will die so that you can glorify me. 
so that you can glorify me. How many of our trials, struggles, suffering that we go through, how much of that is so that in some way we will glorify God through those moments? I would suggest all of it. And here's, here's a great uh, quote that I got from Stephen Furtick this week. Comparison is a silent killer. It steals our joy and undermines our relationships. When I cannot be content with the story that God has given me, the gifts, the abilities, and I'm constantly looking to somebody else, it will rob from those relationships. It will rob me of joy because when somebody else experiences a blessing, I can't rejoice with those who rejoice if I'm constantly comparing and saying, I I wanted that blessing. That was for me. I should have had that blessing. God, don't you see the life they're living over there? Don't you understand what they're doing? But God says rejoice with those who rejoice. But I can't do that if I'm constantly comparing. All right, I want to move on here and draw this illustration out a little further. Galatians chapter 6, such a critical passage when it comes to, to talking about comparison. So, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So we shouldn't be comparing ourselves For each one of you should carry their own load. That word load there in other translations is translated responsibility. Responsibility. Each one of you should carry your own responsibility. So I brought some things to illustrate this for you. So for some of us, some of you in life, life's been real difficult. You suffered as a kid, home was broken, whatever the story may be. And this is the load that you are carrying right now. It's heavy. It feels burdensome, right? For some of you, maybe the load's not quite as heavy. Maybe you have a good amount of responsibility, a fair amount, but you feel like right now you can handle that responsibility, and it's not so bad. It doesn't weigh you down. You could carry this amount of weight pretty far, right? For some of us, maybe, and I used a kid's ministry bag here just to plug them. Now, if you see me carrying this bag, ask me what's wrong other than this place. But for some, you're carrying a load that's this light. Like at this point in your life, everything is going really well. And some of the things that you had set out, some goals that you had set out to accomplish, they're coming to fruition. Everything just seems to kind of be panning out the way you wanted it to, right? And for me, to be carrying this load here and to look at somebody who's carrying that little green bag and say, God, I wish I had their responsibility. How come they get it so easily? Perhaps God didn't design them to be able to handle this weight, but he designed you to carry this weight. He gave you the gifts that you could handle it. He didn't say it was going to be easy, but he gave you the gifts to handle it. 
I'll give you an example of this. When I was walking, uh, or a couple years ago, Aaron and I got to go to Israel. And we're walking through the desert. Uh, we're heading to uh, this place called Mount Timna, which is down near the Sinai Peninsula. It was as close as we could get to where we felt like uh, Mount Sinai was, where Moses had gone up to hear from God. And so we're hiking. The temperature that day was about 104 degrees. We were going to hike about 11 miles. And I don't remember exactly the elevation that we were going to climb, but it was high. There were people in our group. There was about 60 of us in a group. There were people in our group that were in their mid-60s. The oldest was early 70s. And so the morning, we didn't exactly know where we were going, but in the morning the, the guide would tell us, here's how much water you need. And so he told us four liters of water. So we knew, all right, four liters of water for each one of us, that's a pretty good hike. We're going to go pretty far today. And it's going to be pretty hard. And so one of the things that he suggested to some of us, he said, hey, maybe you want to carry some extra water for some people in case they run out. And so for that morning, I carried eight liters of water, whereas some only carried two. Now, when they ran out of their two liters and they came to me asking for water, I didn't look at them and say, should have carried four. It's tough to be you. And the reason I didn't was because I was 36 years old, in fairly good shape still, kind (laughs) of. 70 years old, I don't even know if I'd be able to get halfway, right? Right? So what's the difference? I was designed, my body was physically able to handle, eight liters was not that big of a deal to me, but to them it would have been a big deal. So I would say this, this passage here where Paul says we're to carry each other's burden, and let me, put, let me just mention this. If you are living in sin, as the passage talks about sin, if sin is part of your story right now, which it, it is for all of us, but if you're living with a habitual sin or something that's going on in your life that's counter to what God has suggested, all you're doing is adding to this burden. You're adding to the weight that's already there. You're making life more difficult. And the burden will only get greater and greater and greater. That said... If I'm carrying this bag around and I see someone with that little green bag and they're struggling, even though it doesn't seem like they have much, what's the passage tell me I should do? Carry each other's burdens. If I can make this a little bit heavier and I can lighten that, God's equipped me to do it. He's prepared me to be able to handle it. See, but so often we get into this situation where we just look and say, well, they don't have it as hard as I do. That's not what God has told us to do. He said, I'll be, I'll be with you. I can help you carry that burden. And I would say the greatest way that we can help someone lighten a burden is through sharing the good news with them. Share the gospel with them. Because what should each one of us be doing with the burdens that we're carrying? Cast your anxieties on the Lord, Right? So no matter how heavy the burden is that you're carrying, no matter how much weight you have in your life, all of that should be going to the Lord. So the greatest thing that we can do for someone to help carry that burden and lighten their load is introduce them to the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus. Because remember how it was when you first came to Christ 
and you recognize that all your sins had been dealt with, that Jesus didn't condemn you because of your sins, but he saved you in spite of them, and he took your sins upon himself, and he carried that burden for each one of us. And as Adam has shared throughout this this, uh, series, he said, pray for workers. Well, that's why we need workers, so that we can Go out and share the gospel that people can understand and their loads can be lightened. The burdens can be lifted. But now I would say there are a thousand ways, thousand practical ways that we can lift each other's burdens. A thousand practical ways that you can look at somebody else and you can say, hey, I can make their road a little bit easier. Simple stuff. I can make them a meal I can write them a note of encouragement telling them I see them. I can care for them some way. I can mow my neighbor's grass. I can go visit them. I can take them to that appointment. I can't, whatever it is, carry each other's burdens. And here's the thing. This is how this works. I want to end with this. Because, see, when I am fully content when I fully understand whose I am, and let me be clear about what I'm saying there, whose I am, meaning I am a child of the living God and Jesus has died and risen that I might be saved and rescued. When I fully and completely understand that and my eyes are completely fixed on him, then it doesn't matter what anyone says about me. It doesn't matter what somebody posts about me. It doesn't matter that they went to the Hamptons and I didn't get to go. Does anybody go to the Hamptons anymore? It doesn't impact me because I know the one who redeemed me and saved me. And see, when Jesus stood before his accusers, when he was hanging on a cross and they were insulting him and throwing insults and hurling insults at him, when he stood before Pilate and Pilate looked at him, the governor of Rome who had the power to release him and said, don't you understand? Don't you get it? I can let you go. I have that power. And Jesus stood silent. And our accusers come and they accuse us of stuff and people can mock us. But when you know whose you are, it doesn't matter And you can remain silent. Even when your motives are maligned, when you're falsely accused, when someone judges us by their gifts and not our gifts, by their path, their responsibility, we don't need to get defensive. We don't need to go on a Twitter rant or unfriend someone. We can simply stand quietly before our creator knowing what he has said about us and knowing that we are his See, when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, you can offer your very lives to him, trusting that he is orchestrating your life for your good and his glory, even when we don't understand it. And we'll close out with this passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Sin slows us down. Let us strip all that off especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, 
Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. For some of you this morning, you need to hear that. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Peter endured what he had to go through for the glory of God. What you are suffering with currently, you may need to endure for the joy that's set before you, for the glory of the one who made you for that purpose. We may need to endure it, and it's going to be hard. But when we can take our eyes off ourselves, fix our eyes on Jesus, and when we start looking to others, not comparing myself to somebody else, but looking to others saying, how can I carry that burden for you, friend? How can I help you with that? How can I pray for you? When we start looking out that way, God is glorified. So for all of us, may we know that God has shaped us and formed us with a purpose and a plan. Maybe he's made you like this baseball. You're tough. You're hard. You're able to handle a pounding, a beating. Maybe you're softer. Things, you take things a little more personal. Either way, God has shaped you with that purpose in mind. He crafted you together. He knit you together in your mother's womb on purpose, with a plan. It wasn't by accident. So as we go from here, may we recognize that God is at work in our story. May we fix our eyes on Jesus and walk the path that he's laid out before us for his joy, for his glory, and to our benefit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy. God, this has been a hard message. You were working on me this week in some areas, and I sense it here. Father, there are some very sensitive areas where we've just been hurt. We've questioned you. We've struggled with why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow this to go on? Why are you letting it? And Lord, you're big enough to handle those questions. You're not afraid of those questions. God, for us, the biggest thing that I pray is that we would take all of those things and run to you with them. Help us to see you in the midst of the storm. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you when it would be easier to take them off. Father, help us to not compare ourselves to other people, those around us, but help us to be a blessing to those around us. Help us to carry one another's burdens and do it well and do it to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen.